0: Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We've just been in a series. Uh, This is my third week of preaching. We did, uh, everyone's like, yes, three weeks, final week. You'll be hearing from Dan next Sunday um, for our anointing service. But I, um, I started off the series with a title called Here Be Dragons, um, and then last week we had Here Be Dragons Part 2. I couldn't decide what to call this one, um, so let's call it a spin-off. It's not the third in a trilogy. Let's call it like maybe even a prequel or a spin-off or like an extra, you know how you get like the out-of-universe characters for all the nerds in the room, people who don't love movies are like, I don't really care what you call it. Um, Today's, though, we're going to be calling Everyday Mountaintops. It is, is one of those things that connects really well with what we've been talking about. So I feel like we talked about embracing uncertainty last week. We talked about being ready. Are you ready for what God wants to do? If you haven't heard it, you can. It's on the, it's on the podcast. But today, I really feel like God's speaking to us out of a few key scriptures. There's only three passages we'll be heading to this morning. But my encouragement for you this morning is to still be in that mode or that um, sense of expectancy. Because I think sometimes we get a little bit older in life and things get more and more predictable, kind of, don't they? I think that was the encouragement from last week and before was this very predictable track, route, map. That we take daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, every 10 years, however many years you want to go ahead. And it's very predictable. We kind of can see what's happening. But the encouragement is to kind of step off the beaten track, so to speak. Um, I was at a youth conference this week on Thursday. We went down to Brisbane. And it wasn't small. There was probably, well, what was it, over 2,000, maybe 2,200 young people in one room uh, a lot of them were boys, so it was, it was quite ripe. It was quite smelly because uh, it was so hot outside. Everyone lift your hands. Everyone's like, no. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, youth ministry. Uh, but I went. I was, the, I was probably one of the oldest in the room. I went with Cooper. He kept me cool. Um, I mean, like, he didn't keep me cool. He wasn't fanning me. That's why we were there. Um, but what was one of the defining things about that Particular experience, like it is for many of those youth meetings, was, I mean, firstly, amazing to see that many young people just on fire for God, yeah. just loving Jesus. 2,000 young people who are saying at the start of the year, God, use me. Yeah, yes. And it was that sense of expectancy, I think, that sense of anticipation mm. that was one of the defining factors of that day. We only spent the a day there. And it can kind of feel like that in life. I know when you kind of attend a conference and you're kind of pumped for a conference. You're pumped for a mountaintop experience. Are you with me? I would have been to youth camps my whole life, kind of grew up going to those events. Maybe that's the same with you. You go to these youth camps or you go to a a conference that you've booked in on time. You're like, that's my time. I'm going to give everything while I'm there. We would play games on the way to the youth camp. Uh, that were very lightweight when you look back on it. We were the guys and the very Christian young people whose biggest high and craziest moment was swallowing as many uh, mints as you could possibly fit into your mouth and chewing them up as hard as you could and rolling down the window, rolling, not, not electric, rolling down the window, sticking your head out the window and going... Aah! If you've never experienced that, it's a natural high that you won't, you won't forget. Tree-bore mints they wear, or Fisherman Friends, whatever you want to call them. Crash as many as you can. You're going to try it on the way home. If you've got mints in the car, do the old window down and just put... That was about as high as we could get as Christian young people. It was like, whoa, that was amazing. Give me more. You stuff your face full of even more mints. Youth camps for something we did all the time. High points in our lives. Are you with me? Maybe some of you maybe can't remember all the way back to youth ministry, but there's moments, there's times, aren't there? that you can remember, oh, that was a high point. That was a really great moment in my life. And oftentimes they're in rooms like this or they're with lots of other people or maybe not, maybe they were in a living room and it was like just a few of you get together and there's these high, impressive moments, radical encounters maybe, where you've come away from something going, wow, I'm different now. I was one way, now I'm another way. That worship changed me, that message, that preaching, that person that prayed for me, all these big mountaintops, they might not be as amazing as a big meeting. They might be on the way home from work. Maybe I don't know. There's significant moments, mountaintop experiences. You look through Scripture and you find them everywhere. These big, impressive moments when God does something, and oftentimes they are on a mountaintop, aren't they? Here's some famous mountains that you've heard of. Mount Ararat. You heard of that one? That was where Noah's Ark settled after the flood, how about Mount Moriah? That's where Abraham ended up not sacrificing Isaac. We talked about that a little bit last week. Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Mount Nebo, that was the mountain where Moses saw the Promised Land from a distance. What about Mount Carmel, Elijah, and the showdown with the prophets of Baal, the big fiery uh, explosions? Mount Hermon, that's a cool name. Mount Hermon, that's where the Transfiguration happened. Mount Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Mount Doom. No, that's a different story. Um, they're all important. They're meaningful. They're integral for our stories. I think as you look back, we can pick these moments and go, yeah, I remember those. I remember that day, and now I, I'm different now. They're kind of part of our story. They're part of our makeup. But know about you? We don't always live on those mountaintops, do we? You know, we didn't stay at this youth conference for the rest of that week. I'm not still there. Thank goodness it ended because it was it was loud. Uh, I'm getting older. <laughs> it was loud, man. Cooper's like, it wasn't that loud. Mm, anyone, under, anyone under a certain age is fine. We don't live on the mountaintops. Maybe the mountaintops, as I'm saying this, are they're a distant memory. Maybe. Can I, remember, can I remember that moment? Can I remember that time when God did something? Maybe they're far away. In fact, most of us can often feel like we're more valley dwellers than mountaintop people. The mountaintops can feel a lot longer, a lot further away, can't they? The walls, kind of high walls and not a lot of daylight on the way through a valley, that can be our common experience. Maybe just me. Maybe you're all mountaintop people and I'm the only valley dweller in the room. I think sometimes, though, that might be true. We don't feel like we're high on a mountaintop and it's just getting through the valley. That's a lot of us. So what's God saying along the way? What's he teaching in the in-between? If we're we're talking about punctuating your history with mountaintops, what's he doing while we're in the valley or on the climb, on the way up, so to speak? So we're going to land in three different examples, three mountains, three pictures from Scripture about what God does in these mountains, on these moments. And the first one... We're going to turn to the New Testament. The first one is the Mount of Transfiguration. If you've heard of this scripture, it's a famous passage, the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to read it in just a moment. In Matthew, Jesus takes only three of his 12 disciples. He's got three, uh, sorry, he's got 12 disciples. Out of those 12, there's three that he's closest with, Peter, James, and John. And he takes these three with him aside to head up the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to read it in Matthew chapter 17. It will come up on the screen behind me. It says this in verse 1. It says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, a miracle happens. Jesus' appearance was transformed, so his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Verse 3. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared. Big deal. Began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, of course it was Peter, Lord, it's wonderful wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Interesting to see what Peter's trying to accomplish here. If you're reading these scriptures with a scriptural knowledge, you can see what's really going on. Jesus appears in this transfigured state, this miracle person, he's appeared. And then alongside him comes uh, Moses and Elijah. Moses, representative of the law. Elijah, representative of the prophets. You can see what Peter's trying to figure out. He's like, hang on a second. We've got three big guns here. Like, I know the law. We got Moses, I know Elijah, the prophets, and Je- like we're all here. Let's all just let's all just stay up here. It's a miracle that Jesus has transformed. Yes, it's a miracle as well to see Moses. He's been dead a long time. That's a big deal. Hang on, that's Moses. And here's Elijah too, the most significant people out of the Old Testament representing what they do. Don't miss what Jesus, what's actually happening in the scripture. Don't miss the core of this experience for Peter and James and John, that Jesus is in the center. See, at the top of this mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is revealed. Jesus is revealed. Not the law Not the prophets, but Jesus. Above all, Jesus is supreme in the middle of this scripture, but it's a picture of what the new covenant, what the new testament is trying to achieve here. That in the in the person of Jesus, the law has been fulfilled. The prophets have pointed to him for thousands of years. Here is this returning Messiah, Jesus the Christ Himself. And in that moment, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the point. He's the climax. He's the zenith of everything. Famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, I like like reading Spurgeon, I like quoting him, says this, Jesus, who is the sum and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus isn't just one of a few Bible characters. He's not just one of the historical figures. He is the historical figure. Jesus is not to be compared to the writings of people who are waiting for him. Jesus is the very pinnacle of everything we believe. The gospel truth of the finished work of Calvary isn't just our starting point. Although it gets you in the room, so to speak, it is not just the starting point. Forgiveness of sin isn't just an elementary truth to just bide our time until we learn something fresh or new or deeper. It's not just the beginning class. His work at the cross is everything. I hope there's believers in the room. I hope you're listening to this. The cross is supposed to be front and center. Consistent, constant meditation and reflection is the point of our worship and the purpose of our meeting together. To what? To glorify him, yeah, right. all hail King Jesus. Yeah, That's why we sing these songs. We don't only point introspectively to what he's done and how much we need him, but to glorify him, like Colossians said, as the supreme over all creation. Are you with me? Hopefully your spirit is, is testifying to this. It says this in verse seven, just to hammer this home, it says, then Jesus came over. Oh, sorry, let me go back a little bit. That's not your fault, Leanne. That's my fault. Leanne is the amazing woman on the scriptures at the back who has to put up, put, up with her, put up with all the preachers getting it wrong, doing her best. So verse 4, Peter blurted out, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then right at the very end there, in verse 7, it says, then Jesus, uh, it says but even as he spoke, A bright cloud came over them and a voice said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down. Jesus came over and touched them and said, get up. Don't be afraid. And what does it say? And when they looked, and when they looked, they only saw Jesus. And when they looked in verse 8, they only saw Jesus. This disappearance of everything that had led up to him in their fear and in their desperation, in their terrified state, this incredible transfigured Jesus who appears and lands in the middle of all of this, like, what is going on? They're face down, they're terrified, and Jesus says, hey, get up. And it says they only saw Jesus. He is the center of it all. It's such a beautiful picture, isn't it, of the character and nature of Jesus, that he touched them. That he told them to get up and to not be afraid. This beautiful, kind saviour, transfigured in all of his glory. This beautiful saviour says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. When you are afraid, don't be afraid. When you're frustrated, don't be afraid. The transfigured majesty reaching out to see only him. To see Jesus in all of his glory. Let's go to point number two. Number two, so the first one was Mount the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus revealed. Remember, two, Mount Sinai, the spirit is recognized. The spirit is recognized. We've had Jesus revealed, spirit recognized. What's really interesting to see, in my life especially, is the advent of these twins in the life of church and just what effect it's had on us as a family uh, because now there 's two little babies knocking around, and the question has come up a few times: Should, should we have s- some babies as well? <laughs> i 've already got three boys, and there 's a lot of like, hey, we, we could have one of these babies as she 's holding it, and her, <laughs> her womb and uterus is glowing, and all these things We could have one of these one of these, Graham. We could have one of these beautiful, lovely babies. We could do that if you like, well, let's do, should we do this?" And mostly no, um, because I remember, for anyone who remembers the part and it's true. women have like hormones that replace parts of their brain after childbirth, uh, where they forget what childbirth was, and they go like, "Oh, actually, I could do that again." In the minute in the moment." they're like, "Never again." But afterwards, they, rem- they don't remember, and they think, "Oh, we could do that again. I remember. I was there. Uh, But not just for the birth, but for like the, like as they grow up. It's not just, they have to grow up, don't they? And you have to look after them and there's the bedtimes and there's the feeding and the lack of sleep and the babies and the feeding and the lack of sleep. Uh, (laughs) Checking to see if they're still awake. You've put them to bed for hours. I remember lying on the floor holding Flynn's hand, our firstborn, holding his hand for what felt like ages as they're going to sleep. And you're trying to remove your hand from their little, little child, childish grip, you know. And it, you can feel like they let go a little bit and then you slowly move away. And you're nearly off the bed and then they grab it back again. And you think you've got out the room but you haven't quite. Anyone who's a parent's like, oh yeah, that, that is a blessing. Uh, and then you kind of, you've released the grip and you do like a commando roll over the carpet uh, to get out the door. Because if you got up, then they'll see you or they'll hear you and you know exactly where the creaking floorboard is in the bedroom as you walk across the room so they don't wake up. And then the final point of reference to make sure so you don't have to come back and get into bed and then realize they're still awake as they call out. And then you're like, oh, to make sure at the door, very, very, very quietly. Here's a good tip. Very, very quietly. As you're leaving, you go... And if they reply, you have to do it all over again. You have to commando roll back to the bed and hold their hand and spend the next 20 minutes holding their hand. If they don't reply, you've done it. Then you can carry on with your life and go on, go back, maybe back to bed, I don't know. But it's that little whisper at the door, I love you. And you're just waiting for them to not say it back. That's terrible, isn't it? As a parent, that's not true. You're just waiting for them to be asleep. That's why you're doing it. But there's that sense of like, oh, are you still awake? I love you, this little whisper at the door as a parent, this whisper to see if they're still awake, if they're still conscious, if they're still listening, if they're still connected. We're going to go to a, a scripture this morning. Some of you might have already figured out where we're headed, but we're, we're jumping into a famous passage with a, a character in the Bible called Elijah, and Elijah is a big gun, important guy. We just saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's how important Elijah is. He's just had an incredible mountaintop experience. He was on the top of Mount Carmel where he prays down fire and the entire mountainside goes up in flames. He's like, come away from the triumph of defeating 400 prophets of Baal, a false religion that just gets wiped out because God answers his prayers. He's the guy that has managed to do incredible miracles. He outruns chariots. He confronts kings and queens of age, and he's an impressive character. Elijah is amazing, but we find him here pretty depressed, actually completely run out, and he's been in the wilderness now for a little while. He gets told to go to, well, he makes a run from the wicked queen of the day and makes a run to the wilderness. It's the second time he's been there. The first time God feeds him with ravens and sorts him out, makes him sure he's okay. The second time he's in The wilderness, though, is because he's on the run, and it's pretty low, and Jesus has fed him. The angel of the Lord has appeared and fed him bread and water and said, you're going to need your strength. I'm going to show you something. You just need to be ready for it. And it says, as we go in verse 8, it'll be on the screen. It says this. So he got up. This is Elijah. He got up and ate and drank. The food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, The mountain of God. Those of you who are familiar with scripture know that this is a big deal. This mountain's a big mountain. It's where God met Moses and the children of Israel, gave them the Ten Commandments. This is a famous meeting place for people to understand who God was. Elijah would have known that. He wasn't like, oh, Mount Sinai, what's this all about? He knew what Mount Sinai was all about. He knew that was where God met Moses and personally wrote on the tablets of stone the Ten Commandments to give to the children of Israel. It's a really big deal. They were, he was up there, Moses, for a long time. There was clouds, there was fire. People weren't allowed to touch the mountain because they would get struck dead because it was such a holy place. This is Mount, it's not anywhere, it's Mount Sinai. And here's Elijah at the, the very edge of this. It says in the, in the next uh, verse, I think it's verse 9. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Interesting parallels between Elijah and the people of Israel. If you're ready and if you're listening, both were trekking in the wilderness for 40 days. See the pattern here. Both being miraculously fed by God, the children of Israel and Elijah. It's a parallel verse, of parallel scriptures. Both are about to have an encounter with God at Sinai. But here's the parallel where it ends. See what God does on the mountain this time. It says in verse 9, there he came to a cave. Go back to verse 9, can you? He came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10. Uh, it says, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, which isn't true. There were lots of others. <laughs> and now they're trying to kill me too. Pretty defeated, pretty run out. And it says this uh, in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Can you hear, the, hear what God's trying to teach, what he's trying to say through this story with Elijah? He came to this mountain and got exactly what the people of Israel got. He got a landslide, he got lightning bolts, he got fire, he got some really amazing, like, dramatic stuff, like we're talking Hollywood-style <laughs> shakings, there's drama, there's earthquakes, there's rock falls, the whole lot. And after all that display of terror and power comes this whisper. And it says there in, 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 in verse 12, and after the fire, there was a the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Repeats the same question. I've always wondered what that question was for. Obviously, God knows everything. Why would he have to ask Elijah, why are you here? God isn't obviously quizzing him, trying to work it out. God knew, didn't he? Because he's God. He already knows what Elijah's going to do, what he's going to say. So what's the point of this question? And I wonder, I wonder if the Spirit was actually asking him, why this mountain? Why why are you here? Why, why, Why this mountain? What are you doing here, Elijah? I've showed up exactly how you expected, with wind, with earthquake, with fire, with this big show, it's almost exactly like the last time that God showed up on this mountain, except this time God wasn't in any of the big stuff, but God was in the whisper. Why be on the mountain to have to hear that, I think, is a better question. Almost as if God is saying, I've always been as close as that whisper. Why are you on this mountain again? It doesn't say God led him to Sinai. It says that he ended up at Sinai. I wonder if he wandered for 40 days and went, I wonder if God will speak to me like he did the Israelites. I'll go to Sinai and get what I expect. Because that's the only God that I've connected with, this God of brimstone and fire and judgment and and big moves. But instead he gets to the mountain and God says, hey, I'll do all that. That's not me. I'm not in that only. I'm also in the whisper. I'm also in the quiet. I'm also in something that is close. Kind of like me at the door as I open it, as I leave the room with the kids and say, Love you. There's a sense of intimacy, isn't there, about whispering? There's a sense of having to be close with somebody. You don't shout at your loved one from a small distance. You whisper. You whisper sweet nothings. You don't shout sweet nothings. There's this sense of closeness that even in the desert, he was close enough for the whisper, and the mountaintop, and in the wilderness, and as he's calling down fire, and as he's desperate, and as he's afraid, and as he's confused, and he's on the run, all those times he was still. Close enough for a whisper. And is that what God's saying to us now, that sometimes we get to these places and instead of Sinai becoming a place of fear and maybe judgment and exclusion, we now have a God that is close enough to whisper. We're talking new covenant, old covenant, where things were, where things are now because of Jesus, a spirit of intimacy that is close and real and alive and understanding and not distant and elemental, but here, present and close, A spirit not deterred by weakness or lack, but instead ready and willing to help. All of a sudden, the mountaintop has invaded everyday life. Instead of him having to be up a mountain to hear from him, he's now close enough at all times for a whisper. That God's saying, why this mountain? Why'd you come here? I could have spoken to you anywhere if you were listening. This is a picture of the new covenant that we're in now. We don't have to wait for a festival. We don't have to see it on a mountain from a distance. Don't forget Moses was the only one who went up the mountain. Everyone else had to parade around the bottom, not touching it, in case they got too close. And now God's saying, I'm close enough for I whisper close enough and intimate enough in your life. And instead of those once a, year, uh, once a year events or moments in our lives that we're waiting for while we're in the valley, if I can just get to the mountaintop, if I can get to that conference, if I can just get to church, if I can just get to that connector, if I can just get somewhere, then I'll hear from God. Here's God not waiting for you and us not waiting for him. We're propelled into these moments on the way home from work, in the car, as we're praying, going home. It's not just a conference thing. It's not just a a high top that once happens every now. It's Now it's daily. It's eating dinner with the kids, holding a grieving friend, praying for a loved one, celebrating with families to all the different broken pieces of our life. He's close enough for a whisper. It's an everyday mountaintop. You see where God's trying to get us to this morning? It's not just once every now and then. It's every day these mountaintops that we see throughout Scripture with these great people that have encountered him in these amazing ways, now because of Jesus, now because of what he's accomplished, now because we've been drawn close to him, not by our own merit, but because of him, now there's a whisper. Now we're close. Now it transforms from just being a big deal out there somewhere to every day. The Spirit is close. We recognize him Every day on these summits that we have every day, standing higher, closer, more in touch with him every day. The moments that we spend when we're with friends or loved ones or family, and we like we were talking about last week, that little step off track, that's the Holy Spirit. He's close. He's not calling you distant to prove something to him. He's saying, hey, would you just take a step? I want to whisper something to you. It might not be just for you. It might be for the person you're going to talk to. Might be that person you're gonna pray for, that conversation you're gonna have, the practicalities of everyday life, when you're drawing up a budget, when you're working out how you can get through these next few months with, with rising costs or whatever it is, it's those moments. these are the moments. It's not just here in these contexts, it's every day. Number three. Number three is Mount Zion. We've had the Mount Transfiguration, we've had uh, we've had Mount Sinai. This is Mount Zion. Eternity received. Jesus revealed, spirit, uh, what was it? Oh, I've forgotten it. The spirit recognized. And number three, eternity received. Eternity received. We don't talk about heaven much. (laughs) From platform, we don't really talk about heaven all that much, do we? Like, it's not something we bring up every week. We don't talk about the sweet by and by all that much in everyday kind of Christianity even I don't know you I, you hear about it you know about it it's a thing but we don't talk about it a lot we don't talk about how how it's home <laughs> we don't we don't discuss that we know it but we don't really talk about it and like for fair reason because I think if we don't understand it fully it can feel a little morbid can't it? talking about death and the end of your life we don't want to talk about it right now I've got Clothes to buy for the kids at school. I've got groceries to get. I've got to plan that. I've got to figure this out. I want to, I'm concerned with right now. I don't want to think about that. But there's a whole lot of scripture, isn't there, that talks through the importance of understanding what eternity means, what that actually means to us as normal people. We're going to jump to the book of Hebrews, near the end of the, the Bible, if, you, if you're turning there. And the book of Hebrews was written to, believe it or not, Hebrews. People who were Jewish people who had converted to Christianity. That fact alone meant they were very persecuted people. By their own Jewish families and friends, if they converted, they were under persecution. And then, let alone the fact that they were under persecution as well, like all other Christians by the Roman Empire. The Hebrews that this book is written to, this letter is written to, were under extreme persecution. Not quite sure whether they were written to the Jerusalem Hebrews or whether they were written to people in Rome. Or the whole of the Roman Empire that Paul was in. We don't exactly know. We do know, though, that it was written to people who needed encouragement, (laughs) who needed a little bit of a nudge to say, hang in there. Because these people were literally being tortured, thrown in prison, excluded from their friends and their family, their communities. They were being killed, tortured, and murdered, thrown to lions. These people were not just having a nice time worrying about what they were going to do with their family at the weekend. They didn't know whether they'd make it to the weekend. It was an extreme moment in Christian history. And it's right in the middle of that that the writer of Hebrews says, I'm going to encourage you. Specifically as Jewish Christians, I need to encourage you. If you haven't done a study in Hebrews, get there. Such a rich book full of symbols and pictures about the, 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 the temple system and Jesus' sacrifice being the one-time sacrifice for all and how he superseded all of the Jewish traditions. and It's full. It's a big book, but we're picking up what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get to about the the heart behind this whole thing, about what the point of that letter is, which is I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but you're going somewhere better, and that's not easy for us to imagine being in because we're not always at that moment in our lives, and it's not an encouragement we usually use for people. When you hear someone tell you how hard a week it's been, you're like, yeah, but at least you're going to heaven. Like, you don't really talk like that, do you? They don't, you don't have, hear a long story about all the woes that they've got with their lives. And, and the, the encouragement normally isn't from the pastor or anyone. Yeah, but, you know, heaven. We don't talk. Are you with me? We don't usually use it like that. You don't say, yeah, but at least you're going to heaven. Like, at least you're going to be in, in glory one day. I know that might be true. We don't necessarily use it like that, do we? But these people are so on the margin... So on this bleeding line, if you like, between life and death, it was a real encouragement for them. So what do we have to learn about this? Can I get the team up? Is that all right? It delves into what we need to know as believers. It says this. You've had it on the screen there in verse 18. It says, you have not come to a physical mountain. So what's that physical mountain? Mount Sinai. This place that represents judgment, God's anger, and God's holiness, as it were. This place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind. Sounds like where Elijah was. Sounds where Moses has been, right? At the Israelites did, at, where is it? Mount Sinai. It says, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible, they begged God to stop speaking. That's how awful it, like how, how awesome it was. <laughs> They staggered back under God's command. If, he, if an even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. That's a big deal. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. That's not where we've come. See what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do? He's trying to subvert that expectation. Just like Elijah and the spirit of the Lord on the same mountain, you've come and you, that might be what you're used to. That might be what you expect from God, but you haven't come there. It says this in verse 22. It says this, but no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Self, who is the judge over all things, you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Hear the difference? It's not this big, trembling, fire-filled mountain, but instead you've come home I read that and I hear home, because I'm with my family, the people who are believers, this sense of uh, a destination for believers that is one full of hope and life and excited expectancy. I wonder if that's what God's trying to reveal to us this morning. It's It's not a fearful thing in the distance, death and dying. It's not something to be afraid of and wonder, I don't know. Instead, and the Bible actually calls it the hope of our salvation this eternity this life that we've not yet lived in communion with him and it's kind of abstract from our everyday life like i said we don't we don't talk about it much but i wonder what would happen if we did just a bit more i wonder if we would i wonder what would happen if we would, we would bring hope to people and say yeah but what jesus died for wasn't just for now it was actually to give you eternal life it was to give you a life that isn't separate from him but instead close to him That you don't have to be afraid and fearful of what God might say or do because he's extinguished that wrath at the cross and now accepts you to come home. We're temporary visa holders, if you want to call it like that, here on earth. Just a temporary visa. Our true home is heaven. And I know we don't talk about it. And I know it's weird to talk about dying and death and like, oh, yeah, out there. I had lots of weird imaginations about heaven, you hear about the streets of gold and you hear about clouds and you get these pictures of what Hollywood maybe have told you it's like. What I do know is that Jesus is there. What I do know is there's family there. What I do know is that all, like it said, the countless thousands of others that have gone before us. It's a beautiful, hopeful place. It's an eternal place. But what does that mean to me today? I can put that away. That's like for one day when. But I wonder what Jesus is actually trying to say to us this morning is perhaps not just to focus on dying and death, but instead have an eternal mindset that this isn't just today, that there is an eternity to live for. And that, that eternal mindset, that thinking of like, actually, God, I'm, I'm here for something more. I've been saved for something better and bigger. How does that affect me right now? Because it should affect how we talk to people. Because I have a future and a hope I want to introduce you to the same thing. Are you with me? This, this, this eternal mindset filters into our everyday. We need to be eternally minded. Eyes set on the things of heaven, full of hope and full of faith and full of life. And when we face these trials and these persecutions and difficulties and problems, this hope of an eternity secured, an eternity with him, without pain, without challenge, is a real place. It's not just a, an ethereal imagination of a philosophical mind. It's a real physical place and we go there. We're on the way to a better place. we to talk about mountaintop experiences. That's the one we're aiming for. But along the way, how do I deal with that? It's an eternal mindset. How do I walk through these valleys that don't seem like they're ever ending? And where's that mountaintop? It's Jesus revealed. It's the spirit recognized. It's eternity in mind. The daily walk The mountaintop isn't out there somewhere. The mountaintop then becomes in here. Not because we're searching and waiting for something, but because he's revealed himself in our hearts and in our minds. Daily summits of joy. Daily summits of peace. Daily summits of love and thankfulness. We're supposed to ascend this mountain every day, every moment of every day, climbing upwards and higher to higher perspective and higher understanding. Pray you go away from here, not, not anticipating the one day when, but instead today. These everyday mountains, these summits that we climb, I pray you leave here today with that sense of immediacy. Not out there when, but today. That whisper from his spirit, that that revelation of who Jesus is, that eternal mindset. Come on, can I pray for you, Father? Pray for these people, your people. I pray for your great blessing, your hand of favor upon them. You give them great strength and courage this week as they face this first week, if they're a family, the first week of school, back in a new year, whether they're going back to work, when they're facing up to everything they do, I pray they'd remember you in the every moment, the everyday mountaintop of Monday mornings on the way to work. As they're tackling things later in the week and next Sunday and every moment, God, I pray we hear you and see you Like Elijah on that mountain, I pray we'd appear from the cave to hear your whisper. In every moment, I pray all of that in your wonderful name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.